there. It's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, March 24, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm in New York with CBS Sports Network. Norlander is in Boston where Villanova beat West Virginia last night. Texas Tech beat Purdue to set up a Big East for Big 12 regional final. Like we've done in the previous two podcasts, I believe. Uh, I want to take these regional by regional. It just seems more focused that way, and we will get to the East regional uh, eventually. But I want to take these in the order that they're going to be played. So let's start in the South Regional, where on Thursday, uh, Loyola beat Nevada, Kansas State beat Kentucky. So we have Loyola, KSU, and Atlanta on Saturday night. First time a nine has ever played an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. Good seats are available, I'm certain. Norlander, what do you make of what's happened in Atlanta? I make of it that it is perfect for this random result-generating amazing thing that is the NCAA tournament. And uh, and even having said that, we've never had something like this before. We've never had two seeds that total as high as 20 in the modern NCAA tournament era. And you are right. <laughs> I, I, I Ticket brokers uh, are going to take a massive hit with no Kentucky there. But this game, I, the, the possibility of Loyola getting to a Final Four is a lot of fun. And we can get to that in just a second. But I do want to start, actually, maybe maybe the first time since we've been podcasting, we're going to start with K-State here because, one, it is a solid team. Defensively, it has been a pretty good team all year. And it was, it was a just-okay team in a really, really good Big 12, okay? And... Bruce Weber has now brought his program to the precipice of the Final Four. He's on the verge of his first Final Four since he took Illinois there in 2005, and that team remains one of my very favorites in the history of college basketball. Loved the way that team played. Uh, and in fact, when I watch Loyola, sometimes the way that it moves the ball, it kind of reminds me of those old fighting Illini teams. But Bruce Weber has presented Kansas State fans with with perhaps a uh, an uncomfortable position here because many of them, not all of them, but many of them have not wanted him to run that program since he was hired and then in an even greater majority basically since year three. But he's made the tournament in four or six years. He's kept that school competitive in the best conference in the country. And and now Kansas State, yeah, it got a break here or there, but it was it was definitely an underdog against Kentucky. Showed up, played so well and played well by the way despite the fact that it had some foul issues late that was what was particularly impressive about that um you know Xavier Sneed had a tremendous game but wasn't really a factor in the final few minutes there and for Kansas State to win the way that did close playing the way it wanted to 61-58 I thought was 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 great uh Carter Diara or Jara I'm not quite certain on the pronunciation anyway he can be a lot of fun so just because Kansas State isn't a team that you know has these big stars, and when you think Kansas State, you might think, oh, Frank Martin was there, and Michael Beasley was there, and they're just kind of like a whatever team, and Bruce Weber's been there for like six years. They actually do have some solid personnel. I thought Dean Wade playing, even though he wasn't a huge factor, was an important factor. Um, I'm not going to say this is one of the eight best teams in the country. I don't think it's one of the 25 best teams in the country, but the bracket doesn't care about that. The bracket's going to present you with whatever matchups, however it breaks. Here we go, Wildcats. Wildcats, Ramblers. That's uh, Honestly, I wrote this late after that game. Kansas State, Loyola, for a number of reasons, it really is the most unpredictable Elite Eight matchup in uh, modern tournament history. It was fun being in studio on Thursday night with Brent Stover, who uh, is obviously one of the studio hosts. He also does play-by-play, does a lot of different things, really talented guy. He's a Kansas State grad and uh, like loves that school. And so the idea um, that, that he would get to watch them get, 
get to the Elite Elite Eight by beating Kentucky. Um, like it was just a lot of fun being with him because he was so pessimistic all day long. Even on air, we had like a three-hour pregame show, and he would just be like on air. You know, so Kansas State has no chance, right? I'm like, it's a 40-minute game. Of course, they, Kansas State has a chance. Obviously, Kentucky's favored. Um, you know, Phillips Arena is going to be uh, overwhelmed by Kentucky fans, but Kentucky's a 10-loss team that is still super duper young. And you know, in this tournament, if if we didn't know it already, we we had to have learned it over the past couple of weeks. Um, uh, any basically anything is is on the table, and so uh, then Kansas State wins it, and for Kentucky. You know, I guess it's, it depends on how you look at it. If I'd have told you a month ago, you know, six weeks ago, hey, Kentucky, Sweet 16, is that a good season? Based on everything that had happened, uh, you know, in this season, at that point, you would have said, yeah, because they're not one of the 16 best teams in the country. Like, they dropped out of the top 25. They'd lost a bunch of games. They'd been on a losing streak. Sweet 16, you take it. But by the time Kentucky got to Atlanta, with the way the bracket had unfolded, you know, they, they weren't sitting here with uh, second-seeded Cincinnati in Atlanta with them, or even third-seeded Tennessee in Atlanta with them. You know, it was Kansas State, Loyola, Chicago, Nevada. Kentucky was the highest-seeded team remaining, and it was in Atlanta where Kentucky fans were going to turn Phillips Arena into uh, something familiar to Rupp Arena. So. A Sweet 16 without context, good season for John Calipari's team. But losing in the Sweet 16 when you are set up to go to the Final Four, uh, that, that's a bit, a bit disappointing. No, it is. It absolutely is. And when you're playing a team like Kansas State, who is not one of the 20 or 25 best teams or hasn't performed like that throughout the history of this season, the the, uh, the short history of a, of a nearly five-month season, yeah, Kentucky fans are going to have some frustrations. And, uh, you know, I – I did not think Kentucky was one of the seven best teams left in the field. Maybe the eighth best team if I was really ranking on a on a power ranking and not just a resume inclusion. Um, they had been – power ranking-wise, if you went off the previous three weeks, I think you would have had to put them in the top four, five at worst – uh, but overall, if you're going to look at the personnel they have, what they were, their weaknesses were, how they performed this season, um, compared to the teams that were in the field, you know, you could really have made a strong case, as I did, to drop them lower than maybe Kentucky fans would have realized or wanted. Um, and I am intrigued by the situation at Kentucky. We'll talk more about this after the tournament or as players go or come back. But just real quick on it, GP. Um, who's going to go? Who's going to stay? Because this is the youngest Kentucky team ever. And a lot of guys who were highly rated as prospects have not translated to being clear-cut college stars. And obviously, Calipari is going to want to reload. So this could ultimately pay off. We've mentioned this a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months back, and how this actually could pay off for Kentucky next year and even the year after if you got guys that are a little slow, a little slow to develop. But that's that's for down the road. Uh, overall, it was the first Sweet 16 loss Cal had ever had as the coach of Kentucky, and. I'm not going to see it still feels like the fact that Cal only has one national title with Kentucky. A lot of people want to attack him for that. I personally don't. That's as many national titles right now as Bill Self has at Kansas. And it is hard to win national titles. Really, really, really hard. Cal's also made a number of final fours. You're going to occasionally just get tripped up in the tournament. It happens to every coach. It happens to Self. has happened to Shashevsky with Mercer and Lehigh. 
VCU back in 2006. This wasn't even a trip up, in my opinion. Kentucky was the more highly rated team, uh, but Kansas State was not some absolute goof to be where it was. I understand it got UMBC in the second round, but uh, K-State um, deserved to play in that game, deserved to win that game, and for Kentucky, you wait and see what happens with the roster. Right. You make a good point about you know the lack of national championships, which is sort of a weird bar to set. I, I get it, given that it's Kentucky and, and they get all the five-star recruits, or at least lots of them do gets, gets lots of them as well these days. But you know, John's been there since the 2009-2010 season. Um, is there anybody who's won more national championships than him in that span? Yes, Mike Krzyzewski. But that's it. I mean, so like the GOAT is the only dude with more national championships than you since you've been at Kentucky. Um, I, I believe that's true. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Duke, right. Duke, so won, like, Duke won in 2010, and then they won again in 2015. Right. So that's it. And uh, so I, I get it, you know, but, but nobody – I guess I'd say this. Nobody's doing – obviously more or better than John outside of maybe uh, Mike Krzyzewski. But if the bar is set at Mike Krzyzewski, then um, that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, high place to, to, to set a bar. Loyola Chicago in the Elite Eight. I, I think they're going to the Final Four. And, you know, like I've, I've said before, I, they are a true mid-major from what is undeniably now, at least, a, a true mid-major league. You know, the Missouri Valley doesn't have Creighton anymore. The Missouri Valley doesn't have Wichita State anymore, which is why I sort of roll my eyes at at, at people when they talk about, look at the number of, mid, of, of mid-majors that get at-large bids now. Well, the, the whole mid-major landscape has changed. You know, Butler used to be a mid-major. It, it's not anymore. It's in the Big East. Wichita State used to be a mid-major. It's not anymore. It pays its coach $30 million a year. It's in the American. Creighton used to be a mid-major. It's not anymore. It it, it plays in the Big East. And so like, some of the best mid-major programs have are, aren't mid-majors anymore. They're still in the NCAA tournament. They're just labeled a certain way. But Loyola Chicago is a true mid-major. And yet it's a 31, I think, at this point. 31-win team? Mm-hmm. Let me double-check that. It is. 31-5. It's a 31-win team that won at Florida during the season beat Miami to open this tournament, then beat the SEC champions, Tennessee, co-champs, then beat the Mountain West champions, um, Nevada. I mean, this is a good basketball team. And so what's remarkable about the situation they're in now is that usually, and I, I, I should say uh, in, the rare, uh, in the rare case that an 11 seed actually gets to the Elite Eight, usually it is playing – a number one seed, you know, you look up and you go, oh, wow, we're one win away from the final four. But my God, how are we supposed to beat this team? That's UConn, Jim Calhoun. What are we, how are we, we're George Mason. How are we going to get past that? Um, what's remarkable about Loyola Chicago's situation is that they wake up on Saturday and they go, we're in a coin flip game to go to the final four. Yeah, like, yeah, we're an 11 seed, but they're a nine. Yeah, we're an 11 seed, but they're a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team. Like, they don't have to – theoretically, Loyola Chicago gets to this place, and they have to play either number one seed Virginia, uh, number four seed Arizona, or big bad Kentucky. And in reality, it's just Kansas State with a limited leading score. Like, this is set up uh, obviously better than it's ever set up for an 11 seed, but better than you could almost possibly imagine. 
Such a critical part of this. Now, obviously, Kansas State's got a shot to win this. Let's not uh, let's not totally lean on Loyola just in terms oh, of – Oh, it's a coin flip. Yeah, like yeah, but what I'm saying – yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is I think a lot of people going into this game are going to be rooting for Loyola to win because it's the more compelling story than Kansas State, and they've looked so good. Um, and they can win. Uh, Kansas State's definitely got a shot here, but GP – the fact that they are getting a nine seed and it is not Mason against that that UConn team, I get, I, I am getting some Loyola vibes off of, or some Mason vibes off this Loyola team. Just in general, the way the way that they have gotten to the Elite Eight and the composure they have played with reminds me a lot of of Mason. Like with with Butler, it was uh, it was not the same when they got to back to back national championship games. Uh, one year they were just a really good team, uh, a five seed, and you, people did not realize then how good Gordon Hayward was, but they knew that he was really, really good, and he was propelling them. And then the next year, Butler almost just bloodied and elbowed its way in an ugly fashion to the Final Four. VCU went out of its mind from three and was almost just caught on this wave and just rolling. But Mason and Wichita State... They had enough pieces. To, I guess Wichita State is kind of um, an analog here, but if you think back to everyone that's Wichita listening, Wichita State had three pros. Yeah, they, they, they yeah, they were absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Like, yeah, and they looked, they looked <laughs> real damn good when they were doing. Like, you you were really seeing Baker and Van Vliet like turning into stars when that kind of thing was happening. Um, but if you think back to those listening that watched that Mason Final Four run, when every game they played up to the Final Four, they were obviously an underdog. They they had this uh, confidence about them and the way that they executed, the way they took advantage, and, and just he, oh look, they probably shouldn't have gotten that offensive rebound, but they did, and they put and Jai Lewis put it back, or or wow, Tony Skin just hit a a three pointer that he kind of has no business making, but when you look at the way that they're playing, clearly this team has a lot of confidence and a lot of competence. When I watch Loyola, it's not the same exact kind of offense Larinaga was running at Mason. Um, but they are able to execute the way they want to execute. And I did make a few calls to coaches in the league just to get a little bit better of a sense because I don't think I saw Loyola once in the regular season. I did watch them in the Valley, and then I watched them from Pittsburgh on television. I watched about half of the Miami, half of the Tennessee game, then I watched all the Nevada game. And here's the thing with this team. They, they, they don't sell out on offensive rebounds. So when a shot goes up, they are always, always, always in their half-court defense. You can't get points in transition against this team because they simply don't put an emphasis on that. They also, a couple coaches told me this, they don't have a bad passer on the floor. So every time you're playing them, every guy knows that you have to move the ball and will move the ball. And as you saw a couple times in that Nevada game, some gorgeous possessions there. So they're constantly moving it, and they are going to get the best shot possible, basically on like 80% of their possessions. doesn't mean they're always going to make them, but when you are actually moving the ball and getting yourself that opportunity, that's why this team is so damn good. And then Clayton Custer, Custer is for lovers, of course. He's the best player. He was a Missouri Valley Player of the Year. But then, you know, I watch him sometimes, and I think, wow, Cameron Crutwig, he's – He's just uh, he's a freshman, but he's he's got some savvy to him already. Is he the second best player? But Dante Ingram, really talented player, sometimes. And then I also heard, no, you know what? Marcus Towns, Andre Jackson, like they're also really really good. The point I'm getting at here is it's not that just like they don't have a second best player. It's that the second best player behind Custer is like good enough to where the team will suddenly go to that guy for a five minute stretch and know that why he's in a groove or the way the offense works, he can score. 
It's a lot of fun. The team is not only just really damn good, it's really fun to watch. Almost Spurs-like in how it moves the ball. Top 15 in three-point and two-point shooting percentage. GP, I am with you. Uh, I had them go. I had them beating Kentucky. Regardless, I have them beating Kansas State, and this uh, this would be a, this would be great. We have been charmed here over the past twelve years in terms of lower seeded teams and teams from mid major conferences making the Final Four. Loyola has not done it yet, but if it does, it will be up there with uh, with some of the greatest stories this tournament has provided. To your point about those unbelievable possessions, just beautiful possessions, there's one that you tweeted. I'd encourage anybody to go see it if you haven't looked at it yet. I believe there's nine passes. Like nine passes and, and, and about that many dribbles. I mean, it's just – it looked very much like peak spurs. And, um, you know, I don't really buy into, well, that's the way basketball ought to be played because I, I don't know. You, there's a lot of ways to get the ball into the rim, no but that, that's a fun way to watch. And um, that, that Loyola Chicago team is, is a lot of fun. To, to, uh, just, just circling back to my, my point earlier, um, usually as the bracket unfolds, it, things are supposed to get more difficult for you. Like, look at Texas Tech. In the, I think that's a perfect example of this. You know, in the opening round, it plays Stephen F. Austin, a 14 seed. Win that. Okay, now things get a little more difficult. Now you're playing 6 seed, Florida. Win that. Okay, now things get a, a, a little more difficult. Now you're playing the second seed, Purdue. Okay, you win that. Now things get a little more difficult. You're playing the one seed, Villanova. With Loyola Chicago, it's like you open – playing the six seed Miami then you things get a little more difficult you play the three seed Tennessee but then things get easier you play the seven seed Nevada and then things get easier you're playing the nine seed Kansas State and by the way same is true for Kansas State they could theoretically be playing uh, second seeded Cincinnati here uh, third seeded Tennessee here um, six seeded Miami here instead they're playing the 11 seed Loyola Chicago so both of these teams um, are uh, unpredictable stories on some level, and yet they're both in a very realistic place um, as they sit in the Elite Eight. They're playing a very beatable opponent. They're playing a comparable opponent. And when you are a nine seed in the Elite Eight or an 11 seed in the Elite Eight, you're not supposed to be playing a comparable opponent. You and I are on the same page. Kansas State obviously can win this. I think KSU is actually favored, but uh, Loyola Chicago, and maybe this is where I'm at. I, I root for stories, and sometimes that influences my picks. And I, I think Loyola Chicago is just the better the better story. You know, obviously Bruce Weber getting back to a Final Four would be a you know I could turn that into a story as well. But Sister Jean, Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers in the Final Four in San Antonio that would be um that'd be something. And I think that's probably going to be uh, the way that it goes. Let's move down to the West Regional where uh, Florida State is going to play Michigan uh, late on Saturday on TBS. And this Florida State team is. Um, Somebody that you thought would oh, never, uh, ne- never advance at all, and yet here they are. I had Florida State fans. Uh, I know they were coming at you on Twitter uh, on, on Thursday night, but they are really running into something right now. I don't know that Michigan's the best team in the country. I know Michigan's not the most talented team in the country, um, but Michigan might be playing better than anybody, and it's been that way for about a month. Uh, Florida State fans are coming at me like the Agent Smith clones in the Matrix are going at Neo uh, in the in the fight scene fight scene in the public square. There it is. Uh, listen, FSU, you have been on me. Uh, FSU fans have been on me relentlessly, even as I woke up here, and I absolutely deserve it. Oh my gosh, this is uh, this to me is honestly. I, I am more surprised by this than I am by Loyola. Like, one quick thing on Loyola. 
a lot of people had him beating Miami, and they were not an uncommon Sweet 16 pick. Now, the Elite Eight wasn't quite the same, but that was not the case with Florida State. Obviously, where they stand in the bracket to get through a one, they're not going to be as uh, as frequently picked to get to the second weekend. Um, this team last made a fi- this program last made a Final Four in 1972. It made a title game that year. It's its only run to the Final Four, and I'm doing it, man. Florida over Michigan. I'm switching it up. I got I got I got no interest in picking against this team again for my own well being on social media. And I know that everyone, or I should say the majority, are going to be going with Michigan because, good God, it disemboweled Texas A and M. That was that was insane and insanely good and in really really impressive there. Sorry FSU fans, I'm riding with your team. I'm just going. You know why? Because I I I think Michigan's going to win. I'm going. I'm going. Pulling a Costanza. I'm going completely opposite of what my instincts are telling me. I am picking Florida State to win this game. I really hope it's close. And if you want to get a reason why it actually could be close, um, if Florida State can and and does push the tempo, I think it's got enough length overall as well to make it interesting. And I actually do like Terrence Mann, Trent Forrest. There are a couple of really solid players. Like they really are really good players there. I'm going to go with FSU. I know you're not going to be with me here, GP. And um, I know a lot of people are going to be rooting. Or not rooting I guess they, they would think Michigan is the more appealing Final Four team. I understand that totally. But I'm actually not opposed to seeing a team like FSU in the Final Four because, frankly, it's random as hell. And uh, would like to learn a lot more about that 1972 team that got there. A lot of guys will probably be getting phone calls that were on that roster. Let's go Knowles, I guess. This is weird. What do you think? Well, it's only fair to point out and important to point out that, yeah, they did beat Gonzaga, but Gonzaga was without Killian Tilly. You know, that was announced just before tip off uh, condolences to everybody who had Gonzaga minus six based on the idea that Killian Tilly was playing because that was a, a disaster. Um, so they did get um, a little bit of a break there in the Sweet 16. But still, I, I don't know if Killian Tilly makes up 15 points. Perhaps he does. But, um, you know, 75 60 is, is pretty impressive. And. You know, in fairness to you, like it wasn't like Florida State was on some hot streak and you just missed it coming into this NCAA tournament like Loyola, Chicago, at least. And I think I probably agree with you. Maybe nobody had them in a regional final. My brother did actually shout out to my brother, Cody, who actually picked that continue. I did have him in the Sweet 16. Same. You know, and and that was a team that, you know, if they're at 31 wins now, that means that they were what at 28 wins. Entering the NCAA tournament, coming off a win in the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, uh, Florida State was nine and nine in its last eighteen games leading into Selection Sunday, nine and nine, and now here they are. I mean, that's that's both the the weird and beautiful thing about this event. It doesn't guarantee you're going to have the best thirty-two teams in the round of thirty-two, best sixteen in the Sweet Sixteen, best eight in the Elite Eight, best four. In the Final Four, and you, you're almost never going to have the best two playing for the national championship. Um, so I don't know that this is the best way to decide an actual like who the best team is, uh, but it's a fun way to decide uh, a champion, and it does give new life and opportunity to to teams that might have not been so great throughout January, February, and, and early March. Florida State is, is an example of that, but yeah, I mean I I'll take Michigan, and. Uh, not as I'm picking against Florida State, but honestly, if Michigan were playing anybody tomorrow, would you take the other team? I mean, I might, but with the way this Michigan team is playing, I mean, they're top three in defensive efficiency. 
They're number two in offensive turnover percentage. I think that's at 13.8. So what do those two numbers tell you? That A, it's hard to score on them, and B, they're not going to give you extra possessions to do it. So good luck, particularly when they're shooting, you know, uh, whatever the percentage was the other night from three-point range. They made 14. I think it was maybe 14 of 26, 14 of 27. I mean, when they're shooting the ball like that, almost regardless of who they're playing, you're just gonna you're just trying to figure out whether you're gonna lose by 15 or 25. You ain't beating them, and and it doesn't mean that they're gonna shoot that way uh, again on Saturday night or in the Final Four. But uh, with the way they've been playing, the 12 game winning streak, like, and that's through the Big Ten tournament essentially, and and the NCAA tournament. So it's not a it's not a 12 game winning streak that lacks substance. They've been beating quality teams over and over. And what they did to A&M the other night, I mean, that game was over five minutes in. So I don't know how I could pick against them. Give me Michigan over Florida State. But you're taking the Seminoles. I'm sure uh, FSU fans will be glad to hear that. Oh, they're going to be thrilled, I'm sure. I'm sure they won't even be angrier with me now that I've done that. And real quick on Michigan, what they did to A&M was obscene. Um, the only team, on, and I include Duke in this, the only team, like, that I would, if they played like tonight, right, against anyone in the field, I would still take Villanova over Michigan. We'll get to Villanova in just a second. But, damn, Wolverines look good. There's no reason why I should be taking Florida State. But here we are regardless, and uh, that is the left side of the bracket. Should be hopefully an interesting Saturday night. Once we get to these Elite Eight games, only four, obviously only four of them, you hope that two of them are close with two minutes to go. We're almost guaranteed at least one of them will wind up being not all that close uh, at the final TV timeout. So I think tonight's got a chance to give us at least one really nice close one. One last point on Michigan. I think a lot of people have made the point. I know Dan Walken uh, made this point as it relates to Loyola Chicago because I heard him ask the question uh, to the uh, to the Loyola coach and players um, at the press conference about in this season that's been engulfed by negativity because of the FBI investigation. You know, it, it, it's it's sort of nice that Loyola Chicago is arguably the biggest story in this tournament because, I mean, again, I vouch for nobody, but they're not out there signing McDonald's All-Americans. You know, I, I don't think you're going to find a Loyola Chicago player's name on an Andy Miller document, you know, seized by government officials. And so it's a, it seems to be a... a a nice little, you know, pretty packaged basketball story that flies in the face of of the headlines that have dominated college basketball this year. Uh, again, I vouch for nobody. But last summer we did ask, you know, more than 100 college basketball coaches, is there a guy at the Power 5 level that you believe is doing it on the up and up that if you lose a player to them, you just assume that you lost them for pure reasons, that nobody got bought, Nobody was compensated. There were no extra benefits. And by a significant margin, if I remember correctly, um, the, the, the winner of that poll was, was John Beeline. And I think that's a fitting story just as much as Loyola Chicago is a fitting story because Michigan is favored to go to the Final Four now. And Michigan has arguably been as good as anybody, if not better than everybody, over the past month. And if John Beeline's peers are correct – I don't want this soundbite coming back to bite me someday if Michigan's under investigation. But if John Beeline's peers are correct, that he is the guy that you can trust is doing it the right way, well, then that 
that sort of crushes the idea that you can't do it without cheating at the high major level because this would be evidence that you can. Um, because John Beeline is not only a win away from the Final Four, but a win away from his second Final Four in what would be a five-year period. And uh, if he is actually doing it the right way, which I, I want to be clear, I fundamentally do believe that he is. But I just I want to hold true to my uh, my promise that I'll never vouch for for anybody in this sport. Um, if he's doing it the right way, then um, then that's a great story, not just like, but similar to the way that Loyola Chicago is a nice story in this very particular season that's been dominated by. Uh, by the FBI investigation. And so if we've got any Michigan fans who are thinking they want to get in early on potentially getting to the Final Four, how do they want to do that? Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, Norlander. You know that, but it doesn't have to be. Not when you use SeatGeek, which is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. It doesn't matter whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, just need a perfect gift for somebody, or you want to go to the NCAA tournament, SeatGeek helps you secure the best seats at the best prices. It's fully guaranteed. I've got the app on my phone. Norlander's got the app on his phone. And like I said, if you're trying to get to an NCAA tournament this game or even the uh, NCAA tournament game this weekend or even you know the Final Four, just any kind of event, make sure to check SeatGeek first. You want to go see Kansas State and Loyola Chicago and Atlanta? Like I said earlier, good seats are definitely available, and you can find them. Uh, at SeatGeek, and you're confirming your per- purchase once you do in just two clicks. That's all it takes. And the best thing about SeatGeek is that it saves you time and money because it's going to search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals for you. And listeners of the Island College Basketball Podcast, you can get 20 bucks off the, off your first SeatGeek purchase just by using the promo code COLLEGEBB. All you got to do is download the app. SeatGeek app is in the App Store, and enter the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code College BB for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Let's go to the East Regional in Orlando where you are in Boston. And uh, we're going to get a Villanova against Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. It's the first ever Elite Eight appearance for Texas Tech. Chris Beard has done this in only his second year in Lubbock. It is the result of Villanova beating West Virginia on a Friday night. That, of course, was followed by Texas Tech eliminating the Isaac Hossless Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, you've been in Boston. Uh, what's the story there? Uh, the story is probably – the biggest story is probably Jalen Brunson um, being ridiculously good again and, and getting Villanova to where it was expected to be at the Elite Eight. Um, no one overwhelming or dominant story. I'll just lay out real quick what I saw last night, and, uh, and then I'll just quickly GPL transition to uh, – to what we got coming here on Sunday. Um, all right, Villanova, West Virginia. Building was alive. Uh, great environment inside TD Garden. Sagaba Kanate, Omari Spellman. I know, man. And, and Omari Spellman and Eric Pascal all giving tremendous one shining moment level highlights here. And West Virginia bringing something out of Villanova that I thought was um, primal and urgent. And Villanova is a team that is. It's got some verve to it, but it's also it's almost just it's almost a little uh, stoic and methodic in the way that it can beat you. And uh, you know, I, I saw those guys up close, and West Virginia was not getting in Villanova's head, and nor was it happening vice versa. They were both engaging with each other. It was chippy. There was a lot of trash talk 
It's really good. And in fact, I know the game ended 90 to 78, so it's a 12 point margin. Uh, and in the final two minutes or so, Villanova just, you know what? They just pushed away from the table and things were done. But it really felt like uh, as close of a 12 point margin as you could ask for in a game like that. Um, and Huggins did say afterward, listen, you know, he didn't kill the officiating. He's like, it's just, you know, you can't get a, a consistent whistle. We're not going to be able to do what we want to do. And. Uh, these guys here, speaking about Javon Carter and Daxter Miles Jr., who are both seniors, you know, they just deserved a better ending. They deserved a better chance in the closing in the closing minutes. Um, talk with Carter afterward uh, in the locker room, and he was he had a blank stare on his face. To be honest, um, he uh, he woke up this morning. He said, "I I thought we were going to win this. It was not going to go like this. I'm a winner. I'll always be a winner." And he was just kind of a little bit in shock of how things went down. Um, but Villanova was Villanova, man. They they are the best team in college basketball. I I, I believe that when we were uh, had Virginia knocked out. Once Virginia knocked out, Villanova took over that mantle. Yes, even ahead of Duke for me. And they have given me no reason not to stick with that. Every game they've looked really, really, really good. Brunson's been amazing, and you just get something from someone all the time. Dante Divincenzo didn't play great. Didn't really matter. Um, so overall, I, I you know I. I I can't be uh, less impressed with what I saw with them. And Brunson, yeah, player of the year. Uh, GP, we'll talk about this offline, but I'm feeling more and more like he might have this locked up. But we got another game to happen here because Duke's still got to play in Bagley. I know that's going to be a conversation we're going to have. Texas Tech real quick. Um, The Purdue (laughs) – first of all, I don't think I've ever had a year where all my four Final Four picks were gone before the Elite Eight started. That happened this year. I had Purdue winning the title before the tournament started, and then Isaac Kosak got hurt. Our Jerry Palms here in Boston with me, and he said after the game, he's like, it's just not the same without Isaac. The team's not the same. That's true. Texas Tech's athleticism overall, the personnel, when you were watching up close, you were like, oh, my gosh, this Texas Tech team is really, really good, really solid. Uh, and they got a fun thing going on there. This is the first lead eight in program history. They got a redshirt freshman walk-on named Avery Benson, who Chris Beard recruited when Beard was at Little Rock, brought him over to Texas Tech. He did not even have the proper uh, – credentials not the right word, but the the player pass, I guess. He couldn't sit on the bench. He had to sit in the stands wearing this cowboy hat. After the game ends, they go and sing the fight song. They mob him right next to press row in the stands and get him on the floor. It was just a really cool moment that I don't know if that got caught on television cameras or not because it was a little bit after uh, uh, the game had ended, but that was awesome. Chris Beard – is quickly getting himself into that top 30 coaches in college basketball realm. And um, this is only his third season as a Division One coach. So what Texas Tech has done has been impressive. Zaire Smith, Keenan Evans, they're, they're great. Like, they are great. This team is a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, it has a chance to beat Villanova. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm going to take Villanova to continue this role. It almost just seems like it's destined to get to the Final Four with the way it plays and the personnel it has and how everything's just continuing to just push forward with such alacrity for Villanova. So that's a, that's a quick snapshot of what we saw in Boston here on uh, on Friday night. As for Sunday, real quick, one more thing. I would think the building's going to be 80-20 Villanova, given the, the location. Texas Tech fans showed up in decent numbers, but the Wildcats will be a, a favorite on the floor and certainly have the majority in the crowd. I'll circle back to Friday night first. Um, you know, West Virginia had opportunities. They were up in the second half, and then you know, they're not good enough offensively in the half court to, to score on a team like Villanova or, or basically any quality team. They've got to get points off of turnovers, and they stopped 
they stopped getting turnovers. I mean, Villanova went almost, uh, I think it was like a 10 minute stretch without a, a single turnover. And that comes after a first half where they were giving the ball away. And so uh, I don't know either they did something at halftime or just something changed in the second half. But, uh, but, but Villanova stopped turning the ball over. And if you're trying to beat West Virginia, that's the, that's the first place to start. The Kanate block on Mikel Bridges is like one of the great basketball moments um, of this entire NCAA tournament. Like, Mikel Bridges cocked it on him. I mean, you, you were in the arena for that? Yeah, dude, absolutely. But And let's continue on that. But I want to say this real quick. It was, it was ridiculous. His instincts are crazy. But Spellman's sequence a couple minutes later where he, where he basically hammer nail blocks into the floor and then catches uh, on the ensuing possession, he catches the, uh, the miss off, I think it was Booth, and dunks over, just ends a West Virginia player. That was amazing. And then when Pascal got Kanate with the two-hand slam. So they were all awesome. Kanate's swat, I think, is the, is the top highlight. But those are like boom, 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 right in order. There, there were three amazing plays in this game that really just – as as our, it sent the crowd into a blender, man. It was uh, it was wowing, and yeah, the Kanate moment was just kind of like blow your hair back, awesome in person. Because what you've got is a six seven athlete, future lottery pick, in transition, full speed, and cocking it on him. I mean, it's one thing if you just get your dunk blocked. He cocked it on him, and Kanate blocked it with two hands. I mean, it was tremendous. I could watch that a million times. And so um, we got a great Kanate moment. And then, of course, uh, Villanova was Villanova down the stretch. Jalen Brunson was Jalen Brunson uh, down the stretch. West Virginia just missed too many shots at the rim. Like, even late when they ripped the ball away. I can't remember whether it was Javon Carter or somebody else. But they're, they're right at the rim, and they just miss again. You know, they had an opportunity to cut – maybe a nine-point game to seven or an eight-point game to six and just missed right at the rim. And so I think Huck said this afterwards, like if you're going to win a game like this, you got to make open shots. We just did not make open shots. And they stopped getting turnovers as well, and that's a recipe for disaster. Then Texas Tech goes out and beats, uh, like I said, an Isaac Haas-less Purdue team. And, uh, yeah, Jerry is obviously right. Um, You know, they're different without Isaac Haas, and I thought that eventually – uh, that was going to catch up with them. Sure, they had shown that they could win without Isaac Haas. They beat Butler without Isaac Haas. But uh, I did not think, even though they were favored, that they were going to beat Texas Tech. I don't know that Texas Tech was going to beat them by 13, double-digit win. But I picked uh, Texas Tech to get past Purdue. And so I'm not surprised that we have Villanova against Texas Tech. And now, you know, in just his third year as a college, as a Division One coach, Chris Beard's in the Elite Eight with a decent chance to go to the Final Four. And yes, Keenan Evans, a player that he inherited, is his best player. But five of his top seven scores are guys he recruited, he enrolled after he got the Texas Tech job. And you just look at the past two years for Chris Beard and contrast them with the the past two years for the man that he replaced at Texas Tech, Tubby Smith. You know, one guy is without a job, like could not get a third year at Memphis because he had run the program into such a bad place. And yes, Texas Tech, you know, Chris Beard, he inherited a, a, a nice situation, uh, clearly, uh, but then turned it into a great situation by being aggressive in the transfer market, by being a true aggressive on the recruiting trail, by, by hiring a quality staff to put around him. And that's ultimately why Chris Beard is in this situation and and the former Texas Tech coach is, is in a different situation. We both taken Villanova here. I think we're both taking Villanova here, right? Both taken Villanova. The one thing that lingered from the end of that Texas Tech Purdue game was it was actually close with 
what, four, four and a half to go, close as in like four or five points. And then Texas Tech's um, athleticism and its it, its readiness for whatever Purdue was going to throw at him on, the, on both ends uh, really just kind of it ended it just like that. I'll be interested to see if the game is close against Villanova, if Texas Tech still has that much in him to, like, to really just have the battery still charged. Could be a critical factor. Both going to take Villanova for the sake of trying to give a score out there. I will say Nova 81-74. I think they will again establish uh, a little bit of a cushion late. Now let's wrap this up with a Midwest regional where we get the best, at least on paper, um, matchup in a regional final that we're going to have. I mean, two teams that, you know, I think we're both preseason top five, certainly in that range. Uh, two teams that have been, you know, among the elite teams in the country all season long. It's the top-seeded Kansas Jayhawks and the second-seeded Duke Blue Devils. And though I haven't looked yet, I would imagine the two-seed is the favorite in this game. Have you seen a line on it yet? Uh, I have not, so I would guess. In fact, I can look up on Sportsline. My guess right now going in is Duke three and a half. So let me bring it up here. I'm going to bring up the Sportsline odds. I've got Duke minus three and a half. That's what it is. Is it really? Boom! Yep. Which I think is a, which I think is a fair line here. You can set up. By the way, you can set up this uh, this whole deal here because I obviously I, I watched a little bit on my computer of each game, but I did not see any of the Clemson comeback. I don't even know if that has an impact on what Kansas is going to do or isn't going to do against Duke. And then I saw the final like four minutes of uh, of Duke Syracuse on my computer as was happening. But point is, I didn't see a ton of what those teams did on Friday night, so the floor is obviously yours. Well, I'll just make it simple. It, it, there were two games that felt like the team that won was actually going to win the entire game. You know, Kansas was obviously up big on Clemson. Clemson made a run to cover, but Clemson, it never felt like Clemson was going to win that game. And um, I would say basically the same thing about Duke-Syracuse. Duke never really pulled away. You know, the number was minus 11. I don't think Duke ever got to 11, 11 point lead, but Duke was up nine at various points and then it dropped down to five and then they go back up to eight and then they go back to four and then they go back up to nine. Um, Duke never felt like it was going to lose, even though Syracuse did make it a one possession game uh, late, but Duke gets out of there with a four point win. Kansas gets out of there with a four point win and now they're going to play a regional final in Omaha. So you would assume that Kansas would, would probably dominate the building. Um, if only because there's more Kansas fans than there are Duke fans, and Omaha is closer to Kansas than it is Duke. At least that's what MapQuest told me. And uh, they put that in that afternoon window uh, on CBS, so it should be um, an unbelievable about three, three-and-a-half-hour period uh, for uh, the Network of Stars, America's most-watched network, uh, because Kansas-Duke and then Stormy Daniels on 60 Minutes. That's going to be a fun Sunday. That's going to be... There's never been a Sunday like this on the network of stars. Okay, I, by the can way. you wait? I like I, is is Jim in Omaha? I can't. I don't yes. know. If Jim Jim's in Omaha. Yes. Okay. So like for two and a half hours, we're gonna have Jim Nance promoting a porn stars interview about the president of the United States. That's tremendous. And then next week, of course, you know he'll be in Augusta. This is March, and yes, that will March. be April. Well, next, uh, week, next week will be in Antonio, and then Augusta. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, listen, it, you know Boston is almost chalk. And the Midwest is indeed chalk there. Um, I, I will take Duke to win the game uh, to beat Kansas. It, it's it's just got so much size 
I, you know, I've, I've probably the one thing I, I think I mentioned. On the, I'm pulling a you here because sometimes I forget what I've said on radio versus what I said on podcast. I think I said this either on CBS Sports HQ, which you should be watching frequently, by the way, or on a radio hit. Um, I've probably spoken with six or seven coaches over the season about Duke and playing them and what it's like. Every single coach I talk to says the same thing. They look obviously great on tape when you watch them. They've got a lot of strength or whatever. When you see them in person and you see actually how big and skilled and talented they are and you see how Marvin Bagley the third is able to get the rebound at its highest point, he times himself well on both ends of the floor. Obviously, he's got a tremendous first jump and a great second jump. Wendell Carter has, is, is awesome. Is like a top 12 pick, and he gets some recognition, but I think people don't realize how good he is. point I'm making here is that Kansas only has one real big right now in Yudoka Azubuki, and he is, a, he is a beast of a person. He is a massive human being. And then they got a lot of guards, right? Um, they don't have the interior presence to match what Duke has there. So I think ultimately, you know, Mike Krzyzewski landing Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley III is going to be what gets him to a Final Four here. I, I absolutely expect both of those guys to have tremendous games um, and Kansas to put up a good fight. But I think Duke is going to win this, I don't know, nine or ten points. They're just – they're so talented. And um, and Syracuse gave them, a, gave them a trouble, no doubt about it. That, Sir- that zone gave them some issues, but they uh, they had just enough there. And uh, I do love the fact, though, that even though we've got Loyola K-State on one side and Florida State's snuck in and Texas Tech has made its first Elite Eight, so you're not used to seeing a team like that play on a Saturday or Sunday going to a Final Four. Hey, you know what? The old reliables are, are plenty fun, too, and in fact – maybe even necessary in some regard. Duke, Kansas, give me it. That will be the final game of Sunday. Yeah, it'll, it'll be tremendous. Two big brands and uh, two uh, obviously quality teams and um, uh, either of either of which is, is actually good enough uh, to, to win a national championship and yet only one of them is going to advance uh, to San Antonio. Norlander mentioned uh, CBS Sports HQ. If you're not watching it, you, you need to. It's a brand new free 24-7 streaming sports information channel with scores, news, highlights uh, for the NCAA tournament and all of your favorite sports. If you're a baseball fan, obviously Major League Baseball just right around the corner uh, talking about it nonstop on CBS Sports HQ. Not me personally. We let the baseball people talk about it, but I'd be happy to if they ever need me. It's always on and you can stream it live at any time. On the CBS Sports app for Apple TV, Roku, for your phone and other connected devices. Or you can just watch it online at CBSSportsHQ.com. That's CBSSportsHQ.com. So let's uh, let's recap real quickly uh, what we have for the Final Four. I've got Loyola Chicago, Michigan, Duke, and Villanova. Yours is the exact same, except instead of Michigan, you've got Florida State. Is that correct? I'm going against all my instincts and everything that is pulling me to tell me to take Michigan, and I'm going with Florida State. Let's do it. I'm so psyched. Go Seminoles. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to Sagabon Canate. Ray Bucknell. And remember to subscribe on the, uh, to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars and nice comments. You guys are terrific. I appreciate you doing that. And we will uh, talk again uh, perhaps on Sunday night at the latest, absolute latest, early Monday. The best way to know for sure, just go subscribe via Apple Podcast. We'll talk to you again really soon. Till then, take care.